We get to talk about surprised by joy. God is so good, full of surprises, but joy is one of those encounters we have. Welcome to those of you that aren't in the room, that you're connected in an online capacity, thrilled that you're in the moment. Well, I, I want give to a, give a bit of a testimony piece uh, in regards, to, it's a praise, and, and, and it's a note of just, just thanksgiving. Uh, my daughter, Cindy, married to Travis in California uh, 10 days ago. Uh, went through the night thinking there were Braxton Hicks contractions going on. She's uh, seven-ish months pregnant at the time, thinking that, uh, hey, a quick little run to the hospital about 4 a.m., and we'll kind of rectify things. 20 minutes later, there is a baby in her arms named Raven James Storm. He's three pounds, 14 ounces. So it's that precarious size. You go, ooh, are, are things okay? Things are good. Baby's going to be in the hospital for about a month here, and I got to go out there and, and have a visit over the spring break time. But I wanted just to tell you that God had to, there was a lot of showing ups in that moment uh, in our lives and life of the family. And uh, you all, your prayers, your wisdom, those of you that know medical stuff and baby stuff, you've been so good. And so we've been blessed again and again and again. And I just wanted to give a word of thanksgiving and, and a word of praise. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into the word of God right now. And I'm going to invite you to join in. So would you rise in spirit, rise to your feet as you wish. And we're going to walk through Matthew 21. And you're going to hear most of it, but be ready. You're going to join in on a couple of prompts. Jesus approached Jerusalem, and he comes to the Mount of Olives. Jesus sends two disciples, go to the village ahead of you. Uh, you're going to find a donkey there and, and a colt tied by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anybody asks you uh, about this, just say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken. Ready? Let's read together. Here we go. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Good job. Hang on. So the disciples went ahead of Jesus as they had been instructed. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their colt cloaks on them for Jesus to sit. And very large crowds gathered and spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut palm branches from trees and spread them on the road. Crowds that went ahead and those that followed, here's what they shouted. Let's do it together. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The whole city was stirred and they asked, who is this? And they said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Lord God Almighty, this is your word, and these are your people. May your word and your people intersect in such a way that there is life that pours into our lives. For your glory and in your name, amen. Well, thanks for reading the word. Go ahead, have a seat. We're going to provide a, a note-taking guide on, on the board right now. And the first item, whoops, I lost the, the tip of the marker there. Okay, we're going to go. Well, there it is. Okay, we're going to go with the yeller here. Um, so the first is this, that we've got a king. And it's, it's all, this is all about King Jesus. Now, I, I, I want to jump and say this. 
And, and I think we do this pretty well as we walk into the Word of God. Well, what's, what's, what's the Word of God have, have for me? And what, how should I live this out? We talk about living and sharing the story of God. But, but here's the deal. The Word of God is not, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's like, ah, you know, I, I always want to see what, what I ought to do with it. And we oftentimes run to application. We're not running to application today. The Word of God is about King Jesus. The Word of God is about God. Now, here's what it's going to do. It is for you, and it will inform you, and we're supposed to do something with it, but, but we're going to slowly get to the applicable parts of it, but focus on, well, what, what's it really about? Now, as Jesus entered on that triumphant Palm Sunday experience, as the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, which means save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, in their thinking, They've got a Jewish nationalism kind of concept going on, meaning kick out the Romans, we want to be in charge. Uh, that, that's what's going down. Now, Jesus is doing something in this moment, and the reason we're using the board is Jesus is going to unpackage three visuals in a very brief amount of time. And what he's doing, he's going to say things, he's going to do things that it's, it's like a Hebrew edutainment concept uh, called Ramez. And can you just say... Ramez, here you go, Ramez. And what it does is, if you know the Hebrew, the Old Testament scriptures, you're going to go, oh, it's like there. And all you got to do is point to a phrase, but you're also supposed to understand what comes before it and behind it. It's what rabbis did all the time. So when it says, this is Jesus the prophet uh, from Nazareth, now Jesus is so much more than a prophet, but it is one of the roles that he fulfilled. And he's fulfilling a prophetic role and having a prophetic voice. Prophets aren't necessarily telling, hey, here's what's going to happen. What, what prophets really would do is not a foretelling of the future as much as like, okay, if this is the kind of attitude that we're having here, if this is the kind of actions that we're pulling off, know that this is how God's going to respond to that. That there's a pathway that this kind of attitude and action leads to. And that's that, you know, kind of that repent sort of concept. If you continue with this, this is how it's going to go down. That, that is a very prophetic voice. So prophets would say things and they would do things to remind people of that. And Jesus is taking on the role of prophet as he enters into Jerusalem at this time. Namely, the fact that he's, he's riding a donkey winds up being a really, really big deal. Um, the kingdom of God is, uh, it's not about kicking out the Romans. Uh, so I don't know who your Romans are, you can think about, oh, these are my Romans. You know, whoever's in charge that you wish wasn't in charge, God might not kick them out. Uh, the kingdom of God is about being a blessing to many nations and that people would come to know King Jesus. That's what it's about. It's not necessarily about your Romans. God will kick Romans out here and there as it is necessary. Uh, the palms embraced the fact that Jesus was king. The donkey concept was saying that I'm a king who comes in peace. There was a certain kind of processional, uh, just, just visuals that were being described in this moment. Now, when you think about a king processing in, I think in our context, each of us kind of as, as adults or as children, we've got 
Aladdin in our head. I hope you've got Aladdin in your head. You're not going to see a picture of this, but when, when Aladdin wants to be Prince Ali, you see all the fanfare. It's Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababwa. And he comes in, and there's all kinds of dancers and musicians and soldiers, and the flowers are going. This is not far off of the kind of thing that was going down as Jesus or any kind of conqueror would enter in, in in that era. Now, in our era, I've got I've got I've got one little example for us. I'm thinking of a parade of a of a conquering hero would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just a year or so ago who won the Super Bowl. And and I think that that when we have conquering heroes, you're supposed to have fun. You're supposed to enjoy what's going on because there's otherwise you want everybody to enter in. And, and good old Tampa Bay Tom uh, has won several Super Bowl Lombardi trophies. And as he's going down a boat on the Bay of Tampa, he's on a boat. His wide receivers are on another boat. He chucks the trophy from one boat to the next, uh, which, which was, uh, and his, you can see his little daughter going, don't do it, Dad. And he did it anyway. He did it anyway, the voice. Of, and so they, they did catch the trophy all in all. Um, but so that's kind of a modern day parade. Now, let's go back to Jesus's era a little bit. And Julius Caesar who was around 100 B.C. to around 40 B.C., he had two big old parades in Rome. Two conquest Roman general-style parades. And this is in the forethought of the people who were part of the palm processional of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So there were palms there were flower petals. He painted his face red, saying, like, hey, we spilled a lot of blood. You know, we're the, we're the great conquering heroes uh, right here in this moment. There's a white, there's stallions, not, not donkeys. A conquering, powerful hero is going to come with a stallion, going to put all the, the goods and the power things on display. And so you see how that's recreated in a movie scene. And, and also, you, you go back to, to, to paintings throughout the ages. They're depicting all these kind of concepts. There's, there's actually even a servant behind the Roman general and holding up a crown behind the head. And the servant, for what it's worth, I thought this was really interesting. The servant, for what it's worth, I wrote it down here to make sure I got it right. Um, there it is. Uh, is saying, memento mori, remember you're mortal. Well, all this is going on, just, just remember you're not quite all that. You know, you did a really good thing, but, but you're not quite all that. So that person behind is actually keeping the conquering person grounded. Well, if Jesus is king, if it's about the kingdom of Jesus, what, where, where do we find ourselves falling into this? Well, you're welcome to come in. And I love the concept of being uh, children of God. There's all kinds of motifs, but that means we're citizens of God's kingdom. That, that, that child of God, you get to be part of the kingdom of God. So Zechariah 9, 9 says, Behold that your king comes to you humble, riding on a donkey. As he comes in on a donkey, the game of Ramez is taking place. So he's not coming to kick out whoever your Romans are. Has God ever answered a prayer of yours in an unexpected way? That you've prayed for something, and go, yeah, we're not going to do it that way. <laughs> But God's so wonderful, the guy goes, I know what you really want. So we may, 
on some occasion have all prayed for Mula Lagunja. We want, we want the monies. We want to show me the monies. Money, money, money. We want the, and so we might pray for wealth. And here's how I think God often answers that prayer, that God may well give you wisdom, that God may give you wonderful relationships, that God may instill within you work ethic. And if you've got wisdom and you've got relationships and you've got work ethic, you're gonna, wealth is just going to take care of itself all the days of your life. God, God, God's presence will be with there's, there's all kinds of times that God says, I know you're praying for this, but I'm going to give you this because this is what you're really after. This is the favor of God. This is God's blessing in your life. You never have to worry about your bank account if I am with you. So King Jesus is saying there's a celebration that is in order. But this is a kind of kingdom that you aren't expecting. When we read in the word of God what the kingdom of God is all about, we find these kind of things consistently that God is for, uh, God is for orphans and God is for widows. God is for children. He welcomes children. God is for the immigrant. God is, God is for the, the unborn. I, I, I'm going to do a, a, a Grandpa Jim kind of thing right now. Uh, I, I'd ask this question, you know, being a new grandpa, that do you get to pick your grandpa title? Because I don't really know if I want to be called grandpa. So stop calling me grandpa. You can call me grandpa. It's okay. I don't really know if I want that title. But I, I, Terry, my wife, she wants to be called Grand Terry. So she's, well, that hasn't stuck yet, but, but we're going to see where that goes. Uh, but right now, my title is Night Night Grandpa because I get called during the evening cares time when they're tending to Raven and James and, and doing all that. I, I get to do some scripture and some prayer. So right now I'm night-night grandpa. And the very first scripture that I read came out of the Psalms. I just knew what it was. It just said that God saw your unformed body. That God knit you fearfully and wonderfully together in your mother's womb. That God's works are marvelous. I, I know that, that full well, that you are so fearfully and wonderfully made. And it just reminded me that the most vulnerable that, that God is caring for, that God is providing for, and that's part of the kingdom of God. And, and, and what, what I want to say to you is this. If you've shown up, if you're in this moment, there's probably somebody not in this room, and you're hearing this right now, and and you just feel like you're in some kind of spiritual, emotional, intensive care unit. I want you to know that God is with you, that God is for you, that God loves you, that God is going to see you through, that that is something that you can definitively embrace because that's what King Jesus does. That's what the kingdom of God, that's what, that's what happens for the citizens of the kingdom of God. Well, in this moment, yay, King Jesus! There's a donkey, but all right, we're, we're King Jesus it up. That's what the crowd's going on. And then things take a really immediate left turn. He, he, Jesus goes to the temple. Listen, listen to this, Matthew 21, 12. Jesus enters the temple courts. He drives out all that were buying and selling there. Hmm, that's gonna turn a few people off. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He says, and we're playing Ramez right now. Ramez, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So we're going to try to draw a temple right now, okay? I say try because I'm not that great at drawing. Uh, do your best to uh, fill this in, but we're going to make a lot of fanfare around the temple. And Jesus was going to the temple. Now, there's a surface level 
concept that's taking place. <clears throat> and I think there's a deeper level one. Let's, let's hit the surface level one first. And you might have heard this, uh, the whole money changer dynamic. Well, people make sacrifice at the temple. That's just part of the temple system. You would bring a sheep. You could bring some kind of animal. If you didn't have a lot of wealth, you'd bring a dove. When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in when he was an infant for his rite of passage, they brought doves. They, were, they didn't have a lot of money, so you brought doves. Well, what happened to people would be they would bring the animals, but you're supposed to bring an unblemished sacrifice. There were temple inspectors that would inspect the livestock coming in. And invariably, if you tried to bring something in, they would go, oh, 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 pff, I am so sorry, friend. Uh, if you're going to make sacrifice, that just won't do. That is not a perfect sacrifice. So do with that animal what you wish, but you're free to go to one of our pre-approved, uh, you know, critter barns over here. Our critter barn in West Michigan is very different than the critter barn they had at the temple. Uh, go, go to one of the critter barns where we've got, they, they are approved for sacrifice, but they would charge you 10 times the amount. They were ripping people off. So when he's throwing over the doves, he's just, there's this irate dynamic of you're making it really difficult for people to encounter this worship experience. Uh, not only that, but people traveled in from all kinds of different regions around the world. So you could have coins from Syria and Mesopotamia, other parts. Well, that money wasn't any good there. You had to exchange it for temple coins. But if you went to exchange it for temple coins, the exchange rate was just exorbitant. Well, there's this dynamic that Jesus just, ah, we're, we need to remove this system. That's a surface level piece. So it, he's referencing Isaiah 56 when he says this needs to be a house of prayer. He's also referencing Jeremiah 7 when saying this has become a den of robbers. So let's listen to the things that are happening around that den of robbers concept. Verses 9 through 11. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury? burn incense to Baal, follow other gods you've not known, and then come before me in my house, in my house which bears my name, and say, we're safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. There's the game of Remez going down right there. Jeremiah is challenging this concept to go, if I go make sacrifice, I'm going to do, go do whatever else I want as soon as I'm out the temple doors. And if we're not careful, we can do that today. We can, we can go, I came to church. I'm just going to go do whatever I want outside. Now, know that, that, that God deals with us over time and in process, that God deals with us that way. But the site where the robbery is taking place is the concept that the sacrificial system is being used to remove guilt from actions that Israel has no intention of amending. God, God wants to work in our lives, not just get a tip of the cap and we move on. I wrote it down in my notes. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Um, it's, it's one of these things that I believe I'm becoming aware of. We are so for other churches. Oh my goodness, are we ever for other churches? We, they, they are our partners. We're but there are moments and times that we may encounter uh, some kind of ministry. And I, I seem that, to encounter them in historic, iconic buildings. 
that have once housed vibrant congregations of people that have loved God deeply and served King Jesus. But when this day and era comes about, there is no conversation about King Jesus in that space. In fact, the person that would be in the pastoral, in the leadership role, has no agenda of, of inviting people into a relationship, into a citizenship with King Jesus. They've got some other agenda in mind. And there's only a couple other agendas that seem to rise to the top, but they've come to the, but, but if they can get a hold of one of those good iconic buildings, ah, they can have a job, and they can rent it out for bill. They can rent it out for weddings, and they can rent it out for funerals. And they have a few people that come, and they have this iconic location that has nothing to do with King Jesus, but it resembles one of our modern day temples. I'm just going to say, it's beginning to dawn on me. I wonder if that is a modern den of robber motif that is taking place in our midst. Let's talk about what Jesus was doing, though. Um, it's called cleansing the temple. What's the last chore you did at your house? I, I, what's, what's the last cleansing kind of concept? Uh, I get to vacuum. I, I, I kind of like vacuuming. And we have one stupid cat. We only have one cat. Uh, we have one cat. Maybe you're a cat person. God will give you grace. There's grace for cat people. There's, there's all kinds of grace. And cat people, you can give this dog people grace. We have do one dog, and that dog doesn't shed. Uh, but... But maybe you cleaned the bathroom. Maybe you really got fancy and you cleaned the blinds or, you know, one of those ceiling fans in the middle of the room and you did it more than just every Boy, if you wait on those things, there's a, there's a hunk of mess on those ceiling fans and in those blinds. It's utterly surprising what happens. So you know when you've done that cleaning, has there been a time you went, oh my goodness, I'm so glad this is getting cleaned up. I, 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 I vacuum the main floor of the home and I'm utterly fascinated by all the, the junk that's there. And then I still got to go to the upstairs bedrooms. And there's more junk. And we do, I do it once a week. Once a week. But I'm utterly fascinated. I just say, we need cleansing in our lives. We need, so, so when Jesus cleanses the temple, when Jesus cleanses, friends, there, there's this aspect of our attitudes, our actions. Yeah, it, we, there's these checkpoints with the Lord God Almighty where we just constantly need to have a cleansing. God deals with us in crisis moments like, oh, wow, that's a new thing I wasn't aware of. But then God will also deal with us in process to continue to clean up stinking thinking or addictive issues in our lives. God will address those. Uh, now, when we're talking about the temple, something really interesting happens with this. As Jesus gives his life on the cross, the gospel writers definitively state that there is this temple veil, this curtain that separates, that's part of the holy place, that it's torn in two. There's three distinct parts of the temple, and the inner part is known as the holy place. It's even divided into two sections. I'm just going to give you a little bit of information on it. And so one of those places is called the Holy of Holies. In it is the Ark of the Covenant. Big, big temple uh, curtain there. 30 feet wide, sorry, 30 feet high, 60 feet high, wide, wide, four inches thick, big curtain, tore from top to bottom when Jesus breathes his last. Whoo! That, in the holy place, there's three items. There's the menorah. You, you notice the Jewish candles that, that are there. Well, there's a menorah, candles lit. It represents the wisdom of God. There's incense burning, representing the prayers of God's people. 
There's 12 loaves of bread. The showbread uh, was, was replaced every week, representing the fact that God provides for the 12 tribes of Israel, that God provides for his people. And when that temple veil is torn in two, there's this dynamic that we begin to understand that the very presence of God is ready to make a breakout. And, and what is going to take place? Listen, listen to the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple. Scripture is not about you, but it is for you, and it will inform you, you are the temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. God's Spirit is not confined to a physical location. The kingdom of God is with you. The kingdom of God is about you. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus would say. But you are, First Peter 2, you're a chosen people. Listen to this language. A royal priesthood. These are the kind of concepts that God was laying down for Adam and Eve to embrace. This is the kind of stuff that God wants to do with his people. A holy nation. God's special possession that you might do what? Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So we could use a variety of this kind of language. But let's say that when it comes to us that it's, it's images of God that we are supposed to understand is in this temple motif that's happening. There's going to be a third visual that Jesus is going to know. We're going to play Ramez one more time. And uh, Jesus spends the night then in Bethany. And on his way to Bethany, he sees a fig tree by the road. He goes up to it. He doesn't find anything on it except leaves. And he says to the tree, may you never bear figs again. It's like we've got hangry Jesus on our hands here right now. What do you do with this? Seems kind of odd. And the tree immediately withered up. And there's this question that takes place. It's a tree. It's a tree. All right. There we go. Tree it up. Um, that's not a really good tree, but you, you'll draw a better tree. There's a tree. Um, What's up with the tree? What's up with the cursing of the fig tree? Think for a moment, where have you seen trees in the word of God? Where have you seen a curse in the word of God? We're playing Ramez. We've been playing Ramez this whole time. We're going to go back to scripture. It's going to point to something significant. Um, there's two trees in the Garden of Eden. There's a tree of life. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One's the tree of life, one's really the tree of death. And, and we've done this for a little bit. You know that God's going to give you all kinds of wisdom, of, of knowledge of good. God will give that. But are you going to wait and receive what God gives, or are you going to make a selfish grab and take it yourself? We've all made the selfish grab. And the nation of Israel has made the selfish grab. They're not waiting on the kingdom of God. They think if they kick out the Romans, it's all about their power position and hear what happens. We just played Ramez here at the temple with Jeremiah 7. We're going to play Ramez with the cursed tree in Jeremiah 8. I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There'll be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree and their leaves will wither. He just pointed to people and said, okay, we're talking about this right now. What I have given them will be taken from them. The nation of Israel was intended to be a blessing to all the nations. 
but they're selfish grabbing. They don't see themselves as the people of God. They see themselves as the people who ought to be in charge of all things worldly. Let's go, let's go to this tree for just a moment. It says in the Old Testament that cursed is anything that hangs, anyone that hangs on a tree. That's in Deuteronomy. And you get in the story of God this time that Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, takes his son, that's the promised heir, and puts a bunch of sticks, they, they kind of take their own tree, up this mountain, and they're going to make sacrifice on that mountain. They're going to make sacrifice. Abraham's done some selfish grabs. They're going to make sacrifice there. But, but there's no sacrifice of this son Isaac. What? God provides the sacrifice. And what does God do now? What does King Jesus do now? King Jesus is going to provide the sacrifice on this cursed tree. This is what... Jesus was constantly talking that he is going to, the son, when you're going to see the son of man, that's his reference to kingship, coming to his glory, when he is high and exalted and lifted up, and he's always referring to his work and role on the cross. And what is taking place right here is surprise in the kingdom of God. I thought I was going to go to this physical place and location and find God, and I thought I was the one who deserved, because of my shame and my guilt, I deserved the cursed tree. And what does God do? What does King Jesus do? He is the one who makes the sacrifice. And because he makes the sacrifice, there's this breakout that happens. And he says, no, no, no. You, you don't have to be the ones that make the sacrifice. You're the ones who are going to be my image bearers. You're going to be like little mobile temples wherever you go representing King Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is going to fill your life, is going to fill your, I'm going to be so alive and at work in you that, that I want every nation, I want all people to hear this. This is surprise. And, and they begin to ask, how in the world can this be? And Jesus definitively winds up declaring this issue of faith that takes place. He says, truly I tell you, if you have faith and don't doubt, not only can you do what's done to this fig tree, but you can say, it's a reference to the temple, which is on a mount. You can say to this mountain, get up and go toss yourself and thrown into the sea. He references both of these final issues in that statement of faith. Friends, is there some kind of stronghold that has grip on your life? That, that, that doesn't allow you to really fully be witness to bearing the image of God. I want you to know that whatever that stronghold may be, that that can be removed. It's, it's, it's not even necessarily that, that you pray for things and if you didn't have enough faith, it didn't happen. I just want you to know what Jesus is saying. King Jesus is saying is, I can get rid of stuff. I can get rid of things that have a stronghold on your life that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And I'm going to bear your sin. And I'm going to bear your sh shame on that cursed tree. You can't do this part. And you never thought you could do this part, but I am going to enable you to do so. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. And in this moment, the Pharisees went, would you tell your people to stop shouting? 
in that moment on the ta- in the temple when they, when they over when he was overturned the, the the tables he just Jesus said you know from the lips of children and infants it has been ordained praise if if friends if you don't cry out the rocks are just going to cry out because it is an all hail king Jesus kind of day would you stand friends and uh, catch this charge catch this challenge He bore your sin. He bore your shame. If some of you are feeling vulnerable, like little children that need care, God is caring for you. If some of you feel that that you're just engulfed in situations that have a stronghold, God can break through those strongholds. King Jesus does that. I want you to hear from the word of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, who summarizes the kind of things that we've walked through this morning. It says, to this You were called because Jesus Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And I want you to know, we're going to use this verbiage in the book of Acts, in the book of Galatians, and Peter. It's it's never, the word cross is never used. It's always tree. Sometimes in our translations, we we get cross. It's always tree. He committed no sin and no deceit was found on his mouth. But when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. He suffered. He made no threats. He's a king. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the tree, on that cursed tree for you, so that we might die to sins and that we might live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, But now you have returned to your shepherd, to the overseer of your souls. In this moment as we pray, the Holy Spirit may be talking to you so definitively that you want to step across that line of faith. You might want to reinvigorate your faith, but you would say, Lord, forgive me. You are the king. I want to follow you. Thank you for making the sacrifice and do the work in my life that only you can do. Lord God, thank you that we have gathered in this moment. And you so definitively are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You've made the sacrifice, you've given your life, and you've taken life back up again. It doesn't defeat you, and it, and we trust in you, Lord. Lord, be with those who are saying yes to you. The word forgive me, I want to follow you, is welling up in their spirit and their soul right now. And we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for strongholds that are being thrown into the sea, Lord. Thank you for the fact that you care so deeply for each and every person that's gathered. We love you so much, and we praise your name. And all God's people would say, amen.